Do you struggle to have conversations with your spouse about money? Well, this week we're having part two of a conversation with my spouse, Samantha, and we'll be talking about committing to a plan, regular financial check-ins, and revising the plan as needed. Welcome to the Delve Into Money podcast. I am your host, Curtis Haney. This is the personal finance podcast where we attempt to demystify money by reviewing books and applying what we learn to our own financial journeys. Thank you so much for joining us for part two of this two-part series on money. We will, in the future, we will have separate episodes on each one of these five steps that we've put together. But if you've not listened to part one, please go listen to that right now. We talk about steps one and two. This week, we're talking about steps three through five. Let's recap just very briefly. Step one is we need to understand our spouse's background. Step two is we need to put a plan together. And we talk about in putting a plan together that not every one of those questions is about money. The questions are about understanding the goals and dreams and desires of your spouse, what they have for them as an individual, and the goals and desires that they have for you as a couple. And we want to sync up on those things. So this week, we're going to talk about steps three through five. And I've got my wife here with me. Hello there. And we're going to talk about committing to those goals, committing to that plan. We're going to talk about checking in regularly, and then we're going to talk about revising the plan as needed. So let's go ahead and jump in. Let's not waste any more time. To commit to the plan is probably one of the hardest things. We talked last week about having a plan and asking three questions related to that plan. It's what is important to each person, what are the non-negotiables, and then what areas can we cut back in? And so it's when we have those annual conversations that we set these things out and we have this deep conversation. But it's the follow-up from that conversation that can be extremely difficult. We need both people in the relationship to buy in to the plan And that requires commitment on a week-to-week basis to what you guys have committed and discussed. So, Samantha, what do you think a key to commitment is? Well, it definitely is the the hardest step or the step that may require a lot of momentum to get going because it is going to require a change in your own own actions and behaviors. And uh, that is going to probably mean evaluating some of your wants and desires and putting them in the right category of wants versus needs. So it's going to require a change in in your actions. Um, And that's hard. That's hard to get that momentum. But it is an important first step because you're going to need, you need buy-in from both people in in the couple. Uh, I think we actually ended last week's episode just touching on this briefly of, of recognizing that oftentimes within a couple, you're going to have one spouse that has a more natural bend towards the financial decisions and financial mindset, but that does not excuse the other person from being a partner in those decisions. Um, even if the other person maybe holds more of the knowledge and holds more 
of of the of the know-how, it doesn't excuse the other person. And it's frankly kind of a cop-out to just be like, oh, I just, you know, I just want to have what I want to have, or I, it's just, it's, it's too hard. I'm going to let the other person do it. You know, part of being an adult is understanding the relationship between freedom and responsibility. I remember seeing this articulated pretty clearly in one of Rachel Cruz's book, which helped me in my own situation of recognizing I just really needed to step up and be a better partner for you in making these decisions. We get to experience a lot of freedoms as adults here in America, but we also have a responsibility and that sometimes means saying no to ourselves uh, for a a frivolous purchase or decision um, of educating ourselves in an area that's maybe intimidated us in the past and and stepping up to, to help with decisions that we don't deem as quote unquote fun, um, but we do it because we know that it feeds the the freedoms that we do enjoy. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing that I will point out there is Samantha's takeaway or what really motivated Samantha was not something I said or did. It was something that she read and found elsewhere. And I think that that's true is we're all a little bit stubborn, even if we don't want to say we are. Yep. And that stubbornness means that it's going to be hard for us to learn from our spouse. And so I would encourage you, if you're not the main money person in your relationship, that you question if you're willing to learn and if you're willing to grow in that area. Because I think that to have full-on commitment, both need to be a part of that decision. And as we talked about last week, a lot of the questions that we're going into are not specifically money questions. Understanding your money as a couple does not mean that you have to be in the nitty gritty, but it has to mean that you are on the same page as far as your goals and what you have for the future. So maybe you don't understand investing the way that your spouse does, but if you can articulate what your goals and what your desires are, your spouse can then share with you how that lines up with your investing goals as a couple. So it's super important that even if it's not a direct correlation to money, it's an indirect correlation to money because those decisions all tie back to money decisions that we make. So again, to reiterate, commitment comes from you both being involved, from you both buying in, and not making excuses for why you don't understand money. To to add to this, it's a very bad decision for one spouse to know and do everything with money and the other spouse to know nothing. If I were to pass away, I can do no level, and I know Samantha doesn't enjoy talking (laughs) about this, right? But I can do no amount of preparation that's going to prepare Samantha enough if she's never been exposed to the money decisions we have. And so by exposing her to the money decisions that we're making, she is learning along the way, which is equipping her if something were bad to happen. If I were to be, you know, uh, unable to all of a sudden like some brain damage, or even if it's not that her being involved allows her to pick up where I've left off. 
and I've protected us and we're protected in ways of life insurance and and just other money planning that we've done. But the reality of it is, is someone's got to pick up and pay the bills and continue the progress that's been made. And it's going to be different if there's a life change that's unfortunate like that. But if Samantha's not been involved in any of the discussions, her level of money knowledge is not going to be up to snuff and she's going to have a huge learning curve. So the more knowledgeable spouse teaching the spouse that's trying to learn is such a great way to prepare both of you individually for the future, whatever that looks like. I'll add this too. It's very, very rare that both spouses die at the same time. (laughs) So thanks for pointing that out, Curtis. Yeah. Yeah. So someone's going to have to live without the other one at some point in time, even if it's in retirement. So being involved in those retirement discussions as well are super important that each person understands. Now, maybe at that phase, you'll have a financial advisor who will help make that a little bit easier, but each person needs to have and take ownership. And asking these questions, the first two steps are great steps to leading towards commitment. Because if we don't know each other's backgrounds, we don't have a plan, it's going to hard to be committed. But those first two steps are baby steps towards this commitment. But then the next step, the next piece is that each person needs buy-in to have commitment. Okay, so the fourth step is we want to create a regular check-in. We make this check-in a weekly thing. And when I say weekly, I use the, the word weekly rather loosely, but it's on our calendar for every week. In reality, what do you think that happens? Maybe twice a month, three times a month on a good month. I'm keeping track in our, in the planner because we had a goal for overall meetings this year. We may be falling a little bit behind, behind. but that's, that's okay because by having it on the schedule weekly, we're going to end up having the meeting more often than we would have otherwise. Because before we would have that Uh, meeting just whenever I got anxious about money. And then that was, again, where a lot of those bad conversations happened. The other thing is, is we don't do a good job of this, but this is something that I've come across recently and we're going to start implementing is we want to make that weekly meeting special. And what I mean by that is, is if ice cream is your thing, it's creating an ice cream date. It's going to dinner. It's whatever that looks like that's going to make you excited to do that weekly meeting. Because believe it or not, even for me, having a weekly money discussion is not the thing I look forward to the most. And the idea here is we want to create something that we can look forward to, and then we pair that money discussion with that. This is a tenet of just habit formation. Tiny Habits talks about this, is we want to create excitement around the things that we're doing, and we want to pair hard things, or we want to pair habits that we want to develop with things that we enjoy or uh, prompts that we already have. So a prompt that we could create for ourselves is a weekly Sunday night dinner, a weekly Sunday night dessert or ice cream, or I'm realizing just now all of these are revolving around food. So maybe that says a little bit, but maybe it's a weekly Sunday night walk, whatever that looks like pairing that discussion with something that you enjoy is going to be something that makes that check-in more likely to happen. 
So I want to ask you, Samantha, how has having this check-in helped you? It's helped me in a few different ways. Uh, One, just by having more frequent conversations, it's kept these goals more top of mind for me. And uh, it also has created a little bit more accountability. Um, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit a little bit further down when um, then you've actually started asking me to, to take care of certain tasks. Well, when we are talking about it more regularly, then I just I just don't forget. And we we know how uh, remembering things can be for us humans. It can be a challenge. <laughs> and so uh, just by having those weekly conversations, it has kept it more top of mind and, and it's it's helped me honestly to feel like we're building on previous conversations rather than starting over every time of like, okay, what even are our goals? What are, where are we at with saving for retirement? Where are we saving, you know, for, a, you know, a new car or whatnot? And, but I feel like we're actually able to move forward and build on previous discussions. Um, so that has really helped me. I've also realized that I needed to take kind of just more specific notes on these meetings. And I ask you to rephrase things. I restate things in ways that I understand and make sure they're they're lining up with what you've said. And so just providing a little bit more accountability and again, just a way for me to, to grow in my understanding of it. Yeah. And we have started, we have created a, a document that we update so that we can put things basically on the agenda for this meeting. It's just so that we don't forget those things. And then we also will take notes uh, either during or after the meeting as reminders of what we discussed. And it just helps, especially for the one that is not as familiar and that is learning to be able to go back and reference those things, those lessons that we've potentially learned. I think the structure, we're structure people. So maybe Others are not as excited about that, but we're definitely structure people. And if you're a structure person, I think this is going to help make your weekly check-in or whatever uh, schedule that you make it, it's going to make it better. And like Samantha said, just to add on to this is we had almost had to start over every single time before we developed this framework. And I'd have to explain stuff and I'd get frustrated I'd get frustrated because I was explaining things over and over again, but I'd not created a good environment for her to be able to learn. And so creating the structure has helped us be more consistent and it has helped us build on previous conversations. Something else you mentioned, Samantha, uh, was this idea of splitting responsibilities. And I want to dig in a little bit more than that and want to get your opinion on what helped you when we started to split responsibilities? What helped you? What was what was good for you with that? So it helped me because it showed that you trusted me. And even if some of these tasks felt either annoying because I had to call someone and talk to them on the phone, that's just <laughs> not my favorite thing. But it showed that, no, I totally can do it. And you trusted me. And so one of the recent things that we did, uh, I don't I can't remember if it was the beginning of this year or end of last year, but we were making the decision to uh, switch bank accounts for just our regular checking. And, um, I, you know, I manage things for our business with that business account. So, you know, pretty familiar with all of that, but we just had made the decision to go back to our previous bank. And you tasked me with like, Hey, get that set up, get that, get that rolling. So we can switch away from this previous checking account that was new ownership was taking it over. And we just wanted to, to go back to our previous one. 
So it just helped that you, it showed that you weren't trying to hold on to everything because you just wanted, you wanted control. Like it showed that you did want help and that this was a way that I could step in and, and do that. And so that, you know, I've, I've learned more with that. Um, it does help me feel like I have greater ownership. Uh, even more recently as, as last week, uh, which we did get resolved. So great when a company recognizes the error of their ways, but we had a medical bill that had been billed incorrectly. We weren't responsible for, for any further payment. And if it had been up to me, I would have just paid the extra amount because I was that tired of dealing with it. Um, but that's not a responsible attitude to have. And you were pushing slash encouraging me to keep making calls and and we got it resolved. We I finally was able to talk to the right person that understood what was going on and uh, they were able to resolve the issue. And so again, that's showing me of, okay, now I, I learned a lot and we're not out that money. Yeah. And I'm super, it's super exciting to see those things. And as we've, have I passed more to you, I've seen just amazing growth in your confidence and ability to handle these things. And again, it's stuff that you would have naturally just let me handle. And part of that may be a little bit of my laziness of just not wanting to do it, but it was also discussions that we had where you said you needed some ownership of things. So we talked about what that could look like. So we want to look at individual items and try and assign tasks that make sense to each person. This is going to create ownership and build their knowledge base to be able to both handle these things. So it could result in sometimes someone handles medical, the other one handles medical. It could be trading off some of these tasks, some of these ideas. But then there's also line items in the budget that each of us are responsible for. So since Samantha does the grocery shopping, Samantha is responsible for the line item of groceries. Uh, I monitor kind of our housing, our investments, kind of those other deals. But again, we're having conversations about both of those areas. We recently had a conversation, you know, wondering with kind of the inflation and stuff that's going on, our groceries going up and Samantha kind of acknowledged, oh yeah, I have seen that go up. And so it's like, those are things that we wouldn't have recognized before that we would have kind of just been surprised by. And so it's interesting now that we're, you know, I guess almost nine years into marriage, uh, five plus years kind of into our better conversations that I'm seeing where both of our knowledge base is going up and we're both able to learn from each other. And that's such a great place to be because we're able to work as partners. And while not ashamed, I absolutely know more than Samantha does, but it's true. <laughs> Samantha would put a lot of people to shame. So it's super exciting to see that growth and just to think about where we'll be in another 20 to 30 years, we'll have a true partnership in our money. Well, sure, I may still be the lead. We'll have both people capable of doing things and making decisions. And there's a level of trust that comes with that is we know that we can trust each other mm -hmm. with money. I can't tell you that I had that at the very beginning, right? Because there's just a lack of trust. And then there were the arguments or the disagreements about it. And it resulted in me having a lack of trust. But the reality is my lack of trust was my own inability to include Samantha in those discussions. And so that has created trust on both of our parts right. uh, with the other person. And I think that's super, super important because trust 
is so foundational to marriage. And one of the things with marriage is you can see it over and over again, but one of the number one reasons for divorce and for marriage strife is money. And so by tackling this, by doing this regular check-in, as well as steps one and two, we're setting ourselves up in a great place to have success in this area of our marriage. And this level of trust in this area also carries over to other areas and has really helped us to create a partnership in, in all aspects. And I think that while this is not the only reason for that, this is definitely one reason for that. And it's one thing that's been taken off our plate of having to worry or having to have trust issues or having fights and not saying we're perfect in that because we're definitely not, but it's definitely helped when we've taken up and used this framework. So last, I want to talk about step number five, and this may be the most important step actually, because we want to talk about revising our plan. It's easy to put together a plan and then try and stick to that plan, but there can be frustration in trying to stick to a plan. I would argue if there's frustration in trying to stick to a plan, you've probably got the wrong plan. And a plan is great because it puts you in the right direction. And we can set goals for what outcomes we want. But the reality is, is the steps that we think we might need to take to get to that outcome might not be the steps that are actually needed. We might also see those steps that we don't enjoy that process to that goal. So it might mean that we need to reset a goal. I say all this to say is our plans need to be written in pencil or need to be typed into a Word document, right? Where we can click on the backspace and we can revise and revisit those plans. And it's that revision, we actually circle back to step two and we almost redo our plan every year. It contains a lot of the same elements, but we're revising our plan with what has changed in the last year. So Samantha, what has been the benefit for you for having these discussions and these revisions to our plan? Well, it's been helpful because, you know, obviously we, we move through different seasons in life and seasons in our marriage and seeing how that connects to our money goals. And so we've moved through phases of being deep in house renovations or when you've been in school or, uh, you know, saving for a new vehicle or now a lot of our conversations are directed towards, okay, how's this going to look when um, our son comes along in, in November so recognizing that as these things are changing kind of in, in this realm of our lives, how is that directly affecting, you know, our money discussions? You know, like I said, some years renovation, saving for that has taken precedence over saving for retirement. And other years we've kind of, uh, you know, put pedal to the metal more on, on saving for retirement. And so just recognizing that um, it's okay for those different areas to take precedence over one over each other sometimes and and how to make those adjustments. That's been really helpful, really helpful for me. Yeah, and I think, like you said, there's gonna be different life phases that we get into and those different life phases are gonna require changes in the plan. We've known that we wanted to have a child for a number of years now, but because we did not have a child, we were planning one specific way. 
Now that that's on the horizon, we're going to have to revise some of our plans. Short term, that's going to be differences in the way we budget. Long term, uh, there may be a few changes, but not quite as many. But it's also helped us get more concrete on those five-year plans because now that we have that on the horizon, we can nail some of those things down a little bit more in stone. Some reasons that you will revise a plan. We're talking specifically right now about changes in life stages. That's a great reason to revise a plan. The other, another good reason to revise a plan is because you've had changes in priority. It could be that you've headed off in a direction of a plan and you realize that what you thought was what you wanted is truly not what you've wanted. We are fickle people. We will change our minds. It is okay to change your mind. But the key in changing your mind is to revisit that plan as a whole, revisit those discussions. As long as you're doing that, you can successfully move towards those goals with that revisiting of the plan. Another reason is maybe you just head off down a path and you realize that you have a goal but you thought it was going to be five years of this specific work, but now instead you realize, oh, I can get this done in two years. So it could be just a change in timeline uh, because as you set off on a path, something was easier or harder than you expected. So these are just a couple examples of areas where you would revise your plan. And I would encourage you that this is going to be done on an annual basis at minimum. But if you have something that comes up mid-year and you know that you're doing a pivot, It's not. that's a great time to revisit these discussions. So I would say do this as part of your annual planning, but if you have a big pivot that is happening, go ahead and reinitiate that. We're reinitiating that right now because we're having a child, right? So because we're having a child, we're revisiting that plan at this point in time. The other thing with a revision of a plan is that We want you to have the freedom. We want you to be able to make a commitment. So we want to commit and we want to go. And this revision step allows you to commit and go and for a period of time, ignore any other feelings or things that you're having. We want to get partway down a path before we uh, turn back. Because what so many of us do is we think and we have these plans, but we don't take steps forward. We don't initiate the process and all of our plans just sit out there in la-la land and we never make any progress forward. So the great thing about this revision step is it allows us, you know what, I can change this. If my ideas change, I can change the plan. So it allows us to commit and fully go full force into that plan. And then again, if we're revising in a year, potentially, We've only committed to a year's worth of action, or we've only committed to action until we have a hard pivot. And I think that's important to seeing forward progress as we want to see forward progress, because if we make plans and we never act, uh, we're never going to have this revised step. So I think this revised step can give you confidence to make plans to take forward action. That is it for the moment. Samantha, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I just, again, would want to reiterate, you know, this is going to look different for each couple. And so it's not about making it look all like one way uh, or patterning, you know, 
copying another couple. It needs to fit you and your lifestyle and where you and your uh, spouse are at the time. But just, you know, know that there's that freedom for these conversations, for these goals to look different, uh, but to just get started. You know, we were about five years into our marriage when um, these conversations really uh, started taking a, a, a helpful shape. And while I'm we didn't make really detrimental financial decisions in those first five years. When I, you know, when I do allow myself to think about where we might have been if we had started these conversations earlier, it does it hurts just a little bit. <laughs> but uh, we can't we can't hang out there. Can't hang out in regret. I think there's an old Chinese proverb of uh, when is the best time to plant a tree? And you know what is that? Twenty thirty years ago, when is the second best time to plant a tree? Well, today. So just start today, start somewhere, and don't expect to have this entire financial discussion at 11 o'clock at night (laughs) when you're both tired or don't have it when you're hungry, but start somewhere and start now versus putting it off. Yeah, absolutely. And, And I would just argue, especially on these things, we want to default to action versus default to inaction because that default to action, you're at least taking steps forward. Even if you're on the wrong path, that forward momentum is going to carry you back to the right path. Whereas if you're from a stopping point, it can sometimes the hardest part can be taking that first step. So I would tell you the first step is to initiate a conversation with your spouse and tell them, hey, listen to this podcast or tell them, hey, I want to schedule a time to talk about our goals. And it just putting that on the calendar is that first step that's going to help you. Um, and and I just, this goes back to kind of the whole point of this podcast, but we want to make intentional financial decisions. And having this conversation is going to help us make intentional financial decisions. The decisions you make are going to be unique to you as a couple. And we want to acknowledge that. We want to embrace that. But we can't make those intentional decisions if we're not having these discussions. So this is just a framework that I've come up with, that we've talked about, that we've been following. And we're going to continue to, as a couple, have discussions. And here in the near future, I'm going to build out a guide that you can walk through to do this. And we will do some more podcast episodes when that guide comes out. So be looking for that. But these three questions in the planning phase and these additional steps are great places to start. So you can see the whole framework in the show notes. You can schedule that conversation with your spouse. I would encourage you to do that today. Do that now as this podcast is ending. So without further ado, we are going to be done with part two of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Please share this with your spouse, share this with someone that's important to you, because I think that we want to help strengthen marriages and we want to see marriages with longevity and we want to see healthy financial, uh, financially, spiritually, whatever way we want to see healthy marriages. And we feel like this is one way that we can help and do this through this podcast. So remember Until next week, healthy financial decisions are intentional financial decisions. Intentional decisions this week lead to a healthy financial future. Start today and we will see you next week.